From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! everybody to another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. My name is Nathan King. I'm joined today by our publisher Ronnie Sanders and the second edition of Coach's Corner here with former Auburn defensive coordinator Ellis Johnson. Of course, Auburn heads to Baton Rouge this weekend. They return from their bye week looking to win. It's crazy to think about guys, but for as little success as Auburn has had there in their history, they could win their second straight game in Tiger Stadium. Of course, both teams are very different than they were back when uh, back when that happened in 2021 but uh ellis i am interested how many times you know with with all all over the sec where you coached you know how many times do you do you reckon you coached in tiger stadium gosh i hadn't thought about it uh and in addition to that i actually took my citadel team i think it was my second one well, i was there three years we played at lsu uh and of course i, I was in there a lot with alabama auburn mississippi state uh, we did not have a trip over there with South Carolina, but I'd say I've played probably about eight times, maybe. What do you, uh, what's your advice for, for Auburn as they go in there for a night game? Uh, it's going to be a wild atmosphere, I'm sure. Guys, I guess the first thing pops in my mind, and I'm not even an offensive coach by coaching experience, is you better have a system to get your snap and you have to land operations that's going to be able to put up with noise. And it's amazing. I, I keep watching these teams, even these pro teams, and they don't have anything that can handle extremely loud noise. And so you have those two or three times, possibly a year, or even maybe once or twice every three years. But if you can't handle it, I mean, it'll lose a ball game for you. Uh, I have not watched Auburn frequently enough to know if they've had any issues with that or not. But, you know, Hugh's been down there many times also. And so he'll be prepared for that, and I'm sure they'll have a plan for it. The other thing that you always have to do, that old saying, you know, try to get the crowd out of it as soon as you can. And very few times have I ever coached down there that we were able to do that. And it was usually either a tight ball game or, or we had a tough outcome. But you have to try to do something early to take the juice out of that crowd. And everybody's got the famous knowledge about, you know, they hold a certain number of their tickets for their fans that buy them at the gate. And and that's always been a tradition there. When they have those night games, the ones that get those tickets have usually been down there drinking at least 24 hours, if not 48. So y'all know it too. I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest places to play, and it seems like it's worse at night. Well, I remember, you know, when I was there for the year uh, with, with Coach Saban our first year down there, we I got the best best of times and the worst of times. We lost to UAB. If you remember that game, we lost to UAB and turned around the next week and we beat Tennessee, who I think was ranked in the top five. And then next week we beat Alabama in Baton Rouge for the first time in, I think it was 40 years. Um, so it, we, they went from hating us to loving us in, in about three weeks, man. So, um, but it's, of course, I've been on the other side of that too. It's some other places. It's a tough place to play, really tough place to play. I've had all kinds of experiences. In fact, the, the year we went down to Citadel, we had a team who couldn't possibly play with those guys, but they weren't playing real well. 
And I don't know if it was just kids were overconfident or just weren't into it. But through about a half of the game, it was a decent-looking game. I think we were getting beat like 17 to nothing. But it was a decent-looking game execution-wise. And their fans started booing them. And, uh, of course, we had no chance of winning the game. But, they, I mean, I remember Nick having to answer my questions after the game about why they weren't good at this and why we weren't good at that. And then one year, my first year, I think it was, at Mississippi State, we were not a good football team. And it was something our kids never feared Alabama. We were at State. They never feared Alabama, Auburn, any of those guys. But they always had this mental block, it seemed to me, about LSU. We never played well against those guys. And, boy, we got beat so bad. It just it wasn't even a contest. And uh, I think Nick, with his respect for Sly, actually kind of pulled off a little bit toward the end of the game. And then the terrible game we had the year we went to to the national championship there at Auburn, the ugliest game we played that year was down at uh, at LSU and, of course, got our rear ends kicked. And it, it kind of was a, a thing that woke our football team up and, and got us going, you know, to finish out the season the way we did. But, boy, it was a terrible experience. We, we didn't play well, and they were a good football team at the time. I think they ended up winning about eight that year. And, of course, we went to the national championship. But that was that was the one blemish on our record until the final game, and it was they they kicked our rear end. Yeah, I remember being there in 2017, and we were talking about this before we got rolling, Ronnie. I, that LSU team had lost to Troy the week before, and uh, not only that, and you're you're talking about the Boo Birds. I mean, they were down LSU was down 20 to nothing in the second quarter, and that that place turned from. Everybody, everybody was on LSU. Everyone was booing them. Auburn obviously felt like they were going to cruise. And then the fourth quarter, when they had that punt return for a touchdown and, and to take the lead, is one of the loudest I've ever heard of a stadium before. And so, um, yeah, it's it it was interesting to me, Ellis, to hear Hugh Freeze on Monday talk about how much he loves the traditions and um, wants to be out there to see them. Um, you know, I guess how much as coaches sometimes do you do you maybe wish you had a little bit more time to take those things in? It was kind of refreshing to be like, oh, you know, he's. He's he's just like the rest of us college football fans wanting to see wanting to see everything else that goes on in those in those great stadiums. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. As a kid, you see it, and then you get a little older and you see it, and then you decide to get into coaching, and then finally you get on that level of coaching, and a lot of those things you're unable to access and do that you always thought were real unique. Now I've been out for six about six years, and have been able to, and I don't want to. <laughs> The last thing I want to do is get in traffic with a bunch of drunks and go to a game with 100,000 people and half of them don't like who I like. But, you know, you, you can't see as well at a, at a game live unless you're up in somebody's box uh, as you can on TV. And then as a coach for 40 years, you're used to watching a game on film and you're looking at every single thing over and over and over and you get to where that's what you want to see when you see a football game. You don't want to go out and, you know, join the cheerleaders and, and see how much beer you can drink and everything. You want to watch the game. So, yeah, I've been through the whole gamut from the time that I couldn't wait to be a part of it all the way through the time that you were a part of it. And then now I want to make sure I can get the hell away from it for a while. Uh, my son, I tell you, my son walk on at Clemson. Last year I had to take him to about four or five ball games, you know, that people would invite him to come to the game. And it was some of the most miserable days of my life. <laughs> and I kept, 
I kept thinking, I don't understand how these people do it. Kept waiting for the policemen to come escort us in, and they didn't show up for some reason. But uh, it, it's something that I, it, I, I love it, but it's not something I really enjoy getting in the middle of now. Some of those, those pregame traditions and the tailgating, I do remember that Citadel trip I told you all about. I've been telling all those folks at Citadel, you know, what a crazy atmosphere it's going to be when we ride in there. You know, don't be surprised if some things hit the bus or something of that nature. Well, we didn't get the same treatment that we got when we came in with the SEC uh, cap on. So it was kind of kind of quiet and weird. And they all said, well, we didn't get to see any of the stuff you said. Well, I said, well, they really weren't very worried about us. Probably weren't very excited about it. But that is a great atmosphere down there. You know, one thing, I, LSU and Auburn played some crazy games over the year. I mean, the interception game. I was there for that one. I remember watching the uh, was the the the, the, uh, the barn catch on fire behind the stadium. Um, there have been all sorts of crazy games down there. Uh, I, I was there. I, it was the '98 game, I guess, um, and we ended up <clears throat> we ended up losing on the last minute down there. Um, it was '97 or '98, but it was been a lot of crazy games down there. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't all, know about the barn barn catching on fire. Uh, I remember my very first time, first time I ever went, I was in East Carolina. We were, we were not a good team. We were average. And we had played a tremendously hard schedule. I don't know why this game was moved, but we played them after Thanksgiving. And, and of course, we were like four and six or something like that. And I think they were, they were, had won about eight or nine. They were going to a bowl game. But anyhow, we came out of the locker room. It was the first time I'd ever been to Tiger Stadium. I'd heard all the, stories and everything. The Tiger, they used to put him right over there by where the team used to come out from the visitor locker room. And so we go over there to kind of look at it, and of course they'll prod it or get it to growl if, he, if they want him to. And the only thing I remember in my mind when he growls, his breath smelled worse than a pig pen. I mean, it was so bad. I thought, God, that's worse than the, than the intimidation factor. I hope they don't do that when the kids come out. <laughs> but that was the first. That was my first trip down there. Well, I had another crazy trip. It was either '98 or '99, Ronnie, and they had a they had a, one of those typical great running backs they always had. And we, I'm at Alabama, and we go down there. We had a pretty good team by then. If, if it was '99, of course, it was the year we wanted the SEC. But I, I think it was '98. But we uh, that running back had about 200 yards at halftime. And we came back out in the second half. We got them stopped, and we scored a bunch of points. I think we did an onside kick. We ended up winning the ball game. They asked me after the game what adjustments we made. I said, we didn't make any adjustments. I said, we just ran him to death the first half, and he was too tired to run the second half. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, you were talking about going as a as a coach and then and now as a, you know, with your with your son. I mean, I've I've had a little bit of the same experience. Um, it was, it was decades in between standing on the, being in the stadium and then being on the sideline, then back in the stadium again. And, um, it's, it's an adjustment. It's, it's an adjustment. Um, my kids, I've got my 11 year old daughter. She thinks that I think she loves Auburn more than she loves me. She wants to go. She wants to go every weekend. Um, <laughs> she's, she's, uh, and they, there are, they're all talking about going to the iron bubble this year. So it's, a uh, it's 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 a different experience seeing it through your kids' eyes than absolutely. 
the other thing about the recruiting trips I took him, you know, they don't give you very good seats. And mm-hmm. uh, they got they got the seat, the good seats are the one people pay money for. Mm-hmm. But they did, you know, they did do a little something about parking. You know, you could park in a certain place and they would shuttle you over to the campus. You go as a player's parent, it's the worst way I've ever been. <laughs> you, you don't get anything as far as getting after traffic. You don't get anything as far as a parking place. You get some terrible seats in the stadium. And, you know, after the game, you fight the traffic like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's all the things that the NCAA has relaxed on, especially with this NIL stuff. It was seen to me that they would, they would start treating the parents of players better. And, and of course, the players too. But uh, that's been a, a kind of a eye-opener for me. In the last two games, I hadn't even gone to the stadium. I go up there to see him. And then I get somewhere where I can see it on the TV. And I go meet him after the game. Probably best way to do it. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go, but uh, I, when she wants to go, I uh, I try to take her. But I, I got a little bit of a story on that. I know y'all can edit this, so I don't mind getting off in the weeds. <laughs> but when I was at Auburn, one of our closest friends were uh, Tim. Uh, y'all got to help me out. Pitcher. Uh, Tim Hudson? Tim Hudson. I'm sorry about that. But his wife actually closed our house when we bought it. And then we got to know Tim. He was he was playing at the time, but it was a year. He got stepped on covering first base. He got cleat on the ankle. and He was home halfway through the summer. He ended up coaching his son and my son were best little buddies. He ended up coaching their football team. We'd go out there and watch him coach football. But uh, Tim was playing with the Braves at that time. And then our ex-neighbor uh, in Hattiesburg, was Paul Mahalam, who had pitched at Mississippi State. And he ended up at the Braves. So we had all those connections. And about every other weekend, my wife was taking all the kids, and they were going to see the Braves play. And it was sitting up in these boxes, not up in boxes, but in these great box seats, about 20 rows up, right behind the dugout. The kids are out running the bases after the games. I mean, they got it made. And so they, they probably went to about six ball games that year. And then all of a sudden, Tim goes back over to San Francisco to get him a World Series championship. Paul got traded somewhere. But we didn't have any access to the Braves games. And the kids still wanted to go. And I told them, I said, guys, we don't have those tickets anymore. <laughs> those freebies. <laughs> and I hope, Ronnie, you're getting some freebies to get your kids there. Because when you get those comp tickets for 30 years, and all of a sudden, the kids get used to it, and they're sitting in these great seats, and they're coming down and see the players after the game and all this stuff. And then about five years later, you're out, and you don't have the comps, and they still want to go to all those games. Right. And they, you're like, well, what? we're not going to those games anymore. <laughs> you, got, you feel like a cheapskate because you can't buy them two tickets to a baseball game, but it just it like kills you because you used to get them for free. I know what you mean. I used to get – you used to get great tickets for nothing. Now it's, uh, you know, you do the best you can. I think, I think my little ones, you just have to be in the stadium. We were in the upper deck last time and we went in the, we went in Letterman's lounge and was actually looking yeah. at quit, but, um, you know, she, she just led to be in the stadium. She just, you know, she's happy to hang out. So. Yeah. Sometimes we forget how, what an experience that is for them. Survivor 46 is here. And so is on fire. The only official survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. My uh, my nieces and nephews, or I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews, but the ones who came to a game most recently, they 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 were glad they were up high because they said they wanted to be closer to the eagle. So you know <laughs> the the perspective the perspective changes a little bit from the mind of a six year old versus people wanting you know premium seats, and then you ask them and they're like, I. Oh, it's nicer to be closer to the bird that's that's flying around. But uh, Ellis, I wanted to ask you, you know, in, in this game in particular, so much of the focus is going to be on, you know, LSU has a, has an absolutely dynamic quarterback in, in Jaden Daniels. Um, I guess from a defensive coordinator's perspective, stopping a dual threat quarterback always just seems like such a challenge. Not, not that a, not that a pocket passer, a guy who sticks in there isn't a challenge, but, you know, throughout your career, when when you were presented with somebody who not even just taking off, but just extending the play, just keeping the DBs on, you know, down the field, down the field, waiting for guys to get open. What is the biggest challenge with that? And, and I guess, you know, throughout your career, what did you find were some of the best methods to contain somebody like that and keep somebody like that from extending, you know, play after play in the passing game? Well, when they can do both and they've got good targets and they've got a, a decent running game, which they're they're good. They're not great, but they're good in a running game. It, it makes it obviously makes it harder. I mean, your question is probably the biggest question going into the game for Auburn is how we're going to you know minimize this guy's damage. Uh, you have to be very you have to have things merged together. In other words, we used to have code calls. If I was going to run a certain type of coverage where I knew we had a lot of man coverage, there'd be no eyes on the quarterback, then we put a little code call in there that. Brad, the defensive line coach, was sent it out there. And those kids had to understand this is not the time for you to take a shot. Just we would have rush lanes and we try to get them to overemphasize the discipline on it, you know, to squeeze the guy instead of trying to run in there and sack him every time. And we had some guys who could do that. Uh, then, you know, if you're going to play some zone, that's when, you know, you, you could twist, do some things with your linemen, maybe turn them loose because you had eyes on the quarterback. The problem is you still, you know, athletically, he can still get away from you. And uh, they're, they're a really strange team this year. I'm sure y'all have looked at all those. They're next to last, next to last in scoring defense in the SEC right now. And, uh, I mean, they're ahead of Vanderbilt. And But but I, I go back and just the question you just asked. They got the best quarterback in the SEC this year. At least I think they do. And uh, statistically, may or may not be – but he, to me, he is the best quarterback in the SEC. And I, that's obviously how they're hanging around up there with a chance uh, to come in the back door. If they can win out, you know, they, they, they could still beat Alabama and go to the West. But, but uh, that's going to be the challenge. And Auburn's been playing some good defense. And uh, this game is not going to surprise me at all if it's an upset. LSU is giving up too many yards in, in throwing game particularly, uh, to be a really championship team. And so that's got to get better. Or, you know, Daniels is not going to be able to carry him over a good solid team uh, that, that can play with him. But I think that's the biggest thing. And I'm sure they'll have a plan uh, to try to minimize him pulling it down or buying time. 
but it's easier said than done. What do you think about uh, Pete Jenkins going back down there? You know, they hired him as an analyst last week. I was, I was texting with him during the week, and uh, he was – I think he was less than impressed with defensive effort thus far. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at it statistically, they're awful. Uh, as much as I've seen, it looks like to me that 75% of it's back in the secondary. And and I don't know whether it's, you know, some talent talent gaps or if they're doing things and putting those kids on an island too much. The first time it showed up was against Florida State in the very first ball game, And they had two big, tall, wide outs they could run. And they just, you know, several times, as you all saw, as the game went on, they couldn't match up with those guys. And they exploited it. Clemson got a bit of it, too, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they did a better job. <clears throat> they did a much better job of it than LSU. But I think they're a heck of a lot better up front. And they were able to get better pressure on the kid. But as the game wore on, uh, the deep balls and the downfield throws to those receivers is what beat Clemson uh, on defense. So, I, you know, I don't know whether Pete knows a lot about coverage or not. But I know he's a heck of a football coach and he's – He's coordinated before. He's always coached up front. He's coordinated before. And I think he can certainly be an extra pair of eyes, you know, see if there's some things that you're doing well or not doing well. I, I think some of these older coaches that are experienced, <clears throat> to bring them in as analysts and consultants and stuff, I think it's a good idea. I've never been a fan of it in the middle of the stream, you know, middle of the season and or something's going wrong, something's going right. I think – Number one, depending on what you let him do and how much he's in that building, I think you send a message to your players that there's a problem. And I think you can really – you better be careful or you can lose them. Uh, the guy who's ever in charge of it is in charge of it. And if you ever get his credibility damaged with the players, you got a problem. So, you know, how they handled that I think is important. I didn't know he was going back down, but I'm a huge fan uh, and got a lot of respect for Pete, known him over the years. I think he's one of the best coaches who been in the business. But I don't think bringing people in during the season, having them talk to the team or having them, you know, get up there and critique things that those kids have done trying to help, I don't think that helps. I think that can be more harm than help. No, I would I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that's the way they're going to do it. I'm just saying if he comes in, and he's spending time with that staff, I think that's probably a helpful thing. If he comes in and he, you know, he's allowed to do anything with the team, I think that's a mistake. Well, and I'm not sure what all he's doing. I know that my guess is that he's been around the program. You know, he's got a house in Baton Rouge or used to, and then he's got one in the Panhandle too, right there on the, uh, on the intercoastal. So I'm, I think he's over there a lot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how much, but I'm sure he's, I'm not sure what all he's doing, but I, I think he's, uh, He's a legend down there. I mean, I'm sure he's around a oh, lot. Yeah. And again, I've got tremendous respect for him. But if you and I know it, then everybody on social media and then the media knows it. That's right. And if you get that media talking about it down there, pretty soon the players are going to know it if they don't already know it. And, and again, I don't understand if this is a way for Kelly to make sure that somebody thinks he knows he's got a problem and he's trying to fix it. Uh, but, if you you know, you don't have to announce it. If you want to bring him in there, you bring him in there and have all kinds of things that he could help on. But to say that we've taken this big step, we're going to bring in somebody who can fix it. Uh, you should, why didn't you bring him in there 10 weeks ago? <laughs> well, you know, it's a little bit, it's just tough living down there. I mean, I know you've lived in a lot of different SEC markets and in addition to Clemson and 
some other places, but you know, the media down there really beats you up. Um, you know, it was brutal at, at least in the places where I worked, but I think LSU might've been, uh, of course you had fine bomb when I was at, when I was at Auburn, but, uh, you know, at, at, at LSU, it was, uh, it, it, everything got so negative so quickly. If you lost a game, it was immediately, you know, the end of the world. Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I did. I, obviously, I, did, I never had been down there. So I, I didn't know it was that particular that bad, but I do know that the rabid fan base and sometimes the media, they they respond to the fans as much as the fans respond to the media. And if the media knows they can light a fuse on those fans, I mean, that's their job. Uh, I, I have had guys that worked there told me they didn't like living there. And you know, it was everything from from uh, it's hard to find a place where you got good schools. It's close enough to the place, to the campus, and all that. Or you know, their kids were always catching hell at school about what was happening on the football field. Uh, but that's one place I've had guys work that they didn't almost they didn't always enjoy the experience. So, and I'm sure the media might have been a big part of it. Uh, you know, it, it is everybody everywhere has a unique, uh, I guess, a unique atmosphere. And I have heard, you know, that media can be tough down there. Obviously, in places like Alabama, when you get to that level, you got you got guys in that media market that can get pretty sharp too. But a lot of times they come up and they're a little bit more part of the program than than just the media. I, I, I'm sure that they've been catching their share of negativity right now, but that's that's. That goes on everywhere. You just got to try to keep it out of your players. I guess that's what I was going to ask. How, how does that affect your players? I mean, you, you've been some big-time places. I mean, how do you keep, as Ron Zook used to say at Florida, how do you keep the noise out of the system and keep the players from – Yeah, <clears throat> used to be a lot easier. And y'all are in this business. So, I mean, obviously, it's harder now. Mm-hmm. But you have these things. You have podcasts. You have social media. You have all sorts of things. There, it is impossible to, to isolate them or insulate them. And you used to could do that maybe 30 years ago. You could insulate them a little bit, but you can't now. I mean, one of the easiest places I ever worked from the media standpoint was Mississippi State. Uh, we come off the practice field on Mondays, and it didn't matter if we just upset Alabama or if we just lost by 30 to, to uh, Ole Miss. There wasn't going to be but one beat rider standing there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe two and they were all trying to get a job somewhere in the NFL or go somewhere out Midwest to get a job. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I, it was easy, but that didn't make it that much better. And it was still hard with the kids, but, uh, you know, you have to stop some of the things It used to be that the media would be calling them in their dorm rooms and contacting them. And I think some of that's gotten, gotten better, but the social media, and of course, the electronic media, even the local newspapers on, you know, online. So you, there's no way you can protect them from all that stuff. You just have to make sure your locker room's good. You don't have players against players. You got coaches, you know, in, in tune with the players. And if you try to insulate them from it, it's going to backfire on you because you're not going to know that they're still getting it. And, and then they're going to be having problems with it. And you don't even know it. It's something you just have to stay with all the time and make sure they, they listen to you more than they listen to that. And I know this is off LSU, but what's the difference? I was going to ask you this last time we were on. What's the difference in working at Alabama and working at Auburn? You've got, you've had some, 
great experiences in both places. What are the, what are the differences? I know there are differences, but. Um, well, that's a good question. It, it would seem like to, to you, maybe it might be an obvious answer or two, but to me, we're very simple. And the media, the media to me in both places was pretty uh, scrutinizing, if you would. They were present. They were very well handled by the people at the, the uh, two universities respect, respectively, uh, keeping them from being a, a nuisance, but also having really good access. Uh, I, when I was at Alabama, I was a younger coach. And the first time I was there, I wasn't a coordinator. I didn't have to have a whole lot to do with the, with the media. And by the time I got back, I'd been a coordinator at Clemson and, and a little older and experienced it a little bit better. Uh, and, and we had some bad seasons those four years with the things we inherited. But uh, And then, of course, the way it fell apart. So there were some pretty hairy times. But they were never – I never dealt with anybody there that was always – that was trying to uh, – knife in the back or do something controversial. They just wanted facts and they wanted answers. I never did bother me. Uh, same thing with Auburn. You know, I was, I was there as an older coach and had plenty of experience with media. I think maybe they can sense that when you deal with them. Uh, if you're trying to hide from them or spin something on them, they know that. So the point is just, you know, you got you got to be honest and you got to be up front. First year, it wasn't that hard. Second year, it got a little harder. But, <laughs> hell, that's the way it should have been. We were playing good one year. We weren't playing that good the next year. And we weren't playing all that great even the first year. We didn't We didn't have that kind of talent. But I think they just want the truth. And I think you give them that. Most of them are good people, decent people. They want a story. And they want facts that would matter to their story. And they don't want you trying to spin something, trying to paint it like, you know, it is, it is what it is. Well, I got two more questions before we let you go. Um, talk about LSU's defensive weaknesses, and then give me a give me a prediction. I'd say you know, as I mentioned earlier, I and watching them parts of about four games, and I watched a lot of the Florida State game, the opening game. They're having some issues in the secondary, and again, I don't know if it's what they're playing or who's playing, but uh, this is something that that. Uh, Auburn's not been able to exploit real well because they don't have the kind of quarterbacks right now. Hugh, I'm sure he'll get that addressed in the offseason, but right now you got to do what you can do. Uh, they're not particularly good throwing the football, but they've been managing to, you know, to move the ball pretty well at times. Uh, you know, they're sitting there. They're, they're not ranked very good in total offense, but they're not that far behind, say, Alabama. And, uh, you know, the, the difference in the yardage and so forth, they just got to finish and get some points. Uh, on the other hand, Auburn's been kind of balanced. You know, they, they're playing decent on both sides of the ball. If you had a really good quarterback and the kids are doing the best they can with what they've got, they're playing to their abilities. But Peyton's a more of a – he's kind of a dual-threat guy, but the, but the first threat with the throwing the ball is not there. It's not, not on the level. But I, I think – as bad as you as LSU is on defense, and some of it could be the schedule, but as bad as they've played on defense, Auburn's got an excellent chance to go down and win the football game. I think they've got to have a game like they had against Jordan. 
Uh, they're going to have to keep it close. They're going to have to move the football. They're going to have to flip the field with the field position and so forth. And, and they've got a chance to go down there and win. But if they get behind and they have to put the ball in the quarterback's hands and make some, too many throws in critical situations, it's going to get away from them. Uh, if I had to predict, you know, I'd say LSU probably a touchdown better because they play on their home field. But I don't think there's enough difference in these two teams that an upset's not possible. I tend to agree with you. Well, Coach, we appreciate you being with us this week. Enjoyed it.